everybody, welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is Trevor Hall and it is Friday, November 1st. And we have another in-depth interview for you today. We have a special guest actually from London. That's Alexander Keepen and Tom Eldridge from the law firm BCLP. We get into a discussion about a number of things, but specifically about the role of private equity in mining finance as of lately. They had a nice little white paper that they published uh, in preparation for the Beaver Creek Precious Metals Summit that I got a chance to chat with them about. And since I was in London uh, not a sh- well, short time ago, I was able to connect with them and uh, record this interview. So I thank them for their time, and I think you're going to get a lot of value out of listening to their perspectives of things happening in Europe as opposed to here in the U.S. and in Canada. Before we get started, I would like to thank our sponsors. That's the Association for Mineral Exploration, Western Copper and Gold, Pacific Empire Minerals, and Integra Resources. Thank you so much to you four for continuing supporting Mining Stock Daily. We couldn't do it without you. It's a nice little move in gold yesterday. I mean, it'd be nice to get a weekly close above that, well above that $1,500 mark, huh? Well, only one can only hope we'll see how the markets uh, prevail for us today. But in due time, so we'll just get on with my discussion with Alexander and Tom. Again, thank you so much, and we will catch you on the end. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll chat soon. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is your host, Trevor Hall, and I am fortunate to be sitting in the greater London area, directly across the London Bridge uh, with some newfound friends at BCLP. That's an, a law firm, a global law firm with uh, offices obviously here in London, but also in St. Louis and Singapore and other, con- other cities throughout the world. Joining me today are two partners of the firm. That's Alexander Keepen and Tom Eldridge. Gentlemen, thank you for welcoming me to the firm, and I'm glad we can talk about this. But before we get started, for people who are listening maybe unfamiliar with BCLP, uh, even though it is a massive type of law firm that does have uh, direct uh, activities within the mining industry and junior mining, can you describe to us, to us what those activities are and what your involvement is uh, with junior companies? Thank you. Yes, BCLP is a global law firm. Uh, we've got offices, uh, 31 offices are around the world, and uh, one of the key sectors for BCLP is the mining industry, and that's an area that the firm has really been focusing on. I mean, we met at uh, the Precious Metal Summit in Beaver Creek, which uh, BCLP were the exclusive legal sponsor for, uh, which is great, uh, and that was a that was a combined effort of our London office and also our team in Denver, Colorado. Uh, who are also very active in the mining industry. We have a number of centres of excellence for the mining industry across our sort of network of firm, um, and those are based uh, here in London, uh, also in Moscow, where we have uh, a market-leading team involved in the mining industry there. We also uh, have uh, someone in uh, Indonesia, uh, who is seconded from our Singapore office, which does a lot in the mining industry as well. The Middle East has an, a desk going into Africa, and then there's the team in Colorado as well. In, in London, we're in a very small group of firms that have sort of leading individuals uh, who are recognized by the various legal directories who specialize in the whole 
uh, gambit of my, the mining industry, both debt and equity. So I, I uh, am in the corporate team and I very much focus on the sort of equity side, including sort of listings, fundraisings and M&A. Mm -hmm. And then Tom is on the debt side. Yeah, my, I'm, a, I'm a project finance lawyer um, who've worked um, in, across a number of industries, but principally in the, in the mining and metal sector. So my uh, practice is uh, project development, project finance around uh, mine construction, mine operation. So uh, for me, I actually joined BCLP last year. It was a natural fit for me to put my practice together with, uh, with Alexander's on the ECM and the, uh, and the corporate finance side. And uh, so we think we're, we're, we're very well covered here in, in, in London and, and globally. Mm. Tom, I know we're going to talk a lot about specifically private capital and uh, uh, strategic investments on that side of the business. But I, you know, in the last couple of years, all we've heard about financing is just how difficult it's been. I don't know if that's necessarily improving a tremendous amount. It appears by the book cover that financing is getting a little bit easier. I mean, even though some people are still having a hard time raising money. Um, but on the London side and European side of things and, and having a finger hold in the Eastern part of the hemisphere, has that been any different than the difficulties in Canada, US and South, in South America as well? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think the debt that is raised in London and, and, and Europe is deployed across the, across the globe. I mean, the, sort of, the problems that you're alluding to in the last few years have been that you know the traditional problem that the debt will only follow the equity um, and so it's been very very difficult for um, mining companies to to raise significant debt without being able to raise the the equity first so what we have seen over the last five six seven years is uh, is an influx of um, the the resource-focused funds and PE funds, um, who have been able to be able to bridge that gap between the the, the the public market's inability to raise equity and the capital market's inability to provide the debt, and they've been able to fill the gap with a number of different capital products that have gone across the whole capital structure of the companies. So um, I don't think we've had any. Um, th this this market, the European market, has had any particular difficulties that hasn't been faced globally by by financiers across the world. Mm, interesting. Uh, let's move on to the private equity side. Uh, you know, you you two and I chatted in Beaver Creek a lot about uh, this flyer that I'm holding in my hand. That just gives us a little bit of data about um, private equity gold in gold investments, which has declined in the first half of 2019 based on the previous year. Um, in terms of amount invested investments in gold mining companies by mining private equity had fallen by approximately one-third or 29% from eight, from first half of 2018 to approximately $149 million. Uh, give us a little bit of the lay of the land on why you felt this was important to convey to your partners and your clients and uh, why this is, um, you know, the importance of anybody involved in the mining industry from exploration to even investment, why this is important to understand now? No. Well, we've, we've been tracking what's been happening with the sort of mining private equity funds for the last five years now. And it's sort of ever since a lot of money was raised back in 2013 for the variety of sort of private equity funds. So there's been a lot of interest there. 
you know, at a time when the sort of equity and debt markets were constrained, it was a key source of finance for a lot of companies. So we started tracking it because we wanted to know, well, what projects were the private equity funds investing in? Which jurisdictions were they investing in? Which commodities were they favouring? And then what structures were they using? And that's where we were sort of adding our, our legal expertise, trying to sort of look behind the headline on the deal and actually see why is the money going in, what is it being used for. And typically that's sort of looking around whether it's a new investment by a private equity fund or if it's a sort of follow-on investment. So in 2015 a lot of the investments were follow-on investments but that was because a lot of projects were reaching crunch point and the private equity funds had to protect their investment. Roll that forward to last year, there were a lot of um, follow-on investments but when you looked behind that what, were, what was that money to do? A lot of it was actually to finance the construction or the equity portion of the construction. And that would be the crunch point. Do you, is that the crunch point? That, well, that's it? when a lot of a lot of capital is needed. Are you going to are you going to build the thing or not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, ahead of our sponsorship of the Precious Metal Summit uh, at Beaver Creek, we thought it'd be interesting just to look, take a small snapshot of the industry, uh, look at what's been happening in terms of gold investments, because gold investments have traditionally been a very key area for the mining private equity funds. In four of the last five years, gold was the most favoured commodity in terms of the amount being invested. Um, and the one year that it wasn't, it was second, and that was only to copper. So. So we thought it would be a good idea to look at what's happening now so that we could discuss that with the companies when we met them at Beaver Creek. Right. You know, one of the things in, in this uh, report that really kind of sticks out on the very first page, literally, it says DLAC, um, the reduction in the amount of invested and in prin principally driven by a decline in deal activity with only nine deals reported in the first half of 2019. I mean, we're not even talking double digits. So how is a layperson investor who are involved with their own personal capital or even private capital, you know, maybe it's some sort of institutional money. When you only see nine deals done in six months' time, I mean, is that a concern or is that pretty, in this industry, a kind of a typical uh, uh, swing of events at any given year? Well, I think there's a number of reasons for the decline. Um, you know, to put it into context, the first half of 2018, there were 13 deals and 200 million invested just into the gold sector. So that fell to nine deals and 150 million. So the, the deal size was about the same. So if you're looking at what funding can private equity provide to a gold project, that's, that's remained sort of fairly static. So then the question is, well, why were there only nine investments in the first half of 2019 rather than the, 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 the 13 that there was in the first half of 2018? And there I think you've got a number of factors in play. So the first is a lot of the sort of private equity funds themselves were originally set up in 2013. Um, they have deployed a lot of that capital. A lot of those funds are sort of 10-year money, which means that they have a period of about five years where they look to deploy the capital, and then after that, they're looking at sort of uh, realizing those investments. And at that point, a lot of company, a lot of the funds will go on and raise a second or third fund. Yeah. So. I think during this year we're seeing a lot of the private equity funds actually go off and raise additional capital themselves. So their primary focus has been to get more money in to then go out and make investments rather than making investments because that sort of initial window for, uh, for making the investments has fallen away. 
The other thing I think that was particularly interesting in the sort of first half of uh, 2019 was uh, the activity of Eric Sprott uh, himself and through his vehicles because he realised quite a big investment in Kirkland Lake Gold and has set to investing that, reinvesting a lot of that money in early stage gold projects. So whilst um, the sort of traditional private equity activity has declined a bit, you've seen that he's been making personal investments which have sort of made up for that, that difference. Yeah, yeah. Tom, you and I were kind of chatting about this before uh, we press record, but you know, obviously Eric Sprott's been putting a lot of that money in different junior companies throughout the world. But I mean, the question still lies, can one man with all that coverage really continue to carry the boat of a junior industry like this? Uh, I, I think the answer to that is is, is no. I mean, that's a, you know we see that as being a um, a specific um, event this year, where as Alexander said, he he made a lot of money on the Kirkland Lake deal, um, and as you'd expect, someone like him is he reinvesting that money, you know, as as we see. So, um, I mean, I think. You know the 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 broader retail market in Canada has always been a, um, a, a a a sort of prime source of capital for the for the mining sector. I think it's it's a well known fact that um, publicly raised equity, whether it's in the you know which, whichever type of market it is, whether it's retail, whether it's commercial, whether it's institutional, there's been a big um, big sway of that capital going into other industries um, away from the mining sector. And, but then I think what we're doing is looking at, looking at the data from the first half of this year, despite the pressures on the, the mining sector from capital being diverted into cannabis, into cryptocurrencies, into blockchain, um, you know, Canada has still fared well in terms of the investments. I think out of the, out of the nine deals done, nine reported deals done in private equity, six of those that were done in, in Canada. So, mm -hmm. uh, um, And then you add to that, the investments made by Eric Sprott, you know, he made a further four investments into Canadian companies. So the Canadian, the Canadian um, mining sector was sort of the the key focus of the private equity investment. In the last one. Uh, let me ask you about um, take a step back and talk about the private equity financing for construction. Um, with the data in, two, in the first half of 2019, you show that investments were structured as increased stakes, um, which is more than double than what it was a year ago. I mean, kind of give us a rundown and an explanation of what exactly that means and almost the doubling of, more than doubling of that number than from the year before. Does that have to do a lot with more optimism in the gold market or is there other means of, of pushing that money into the system? I think, I think there's, a, it, there's a whole range of, of variables as to why that money has been deployed as increased stakes rather than strategic stakes. I think our data from last first half says that strategic stakes were only at a third of the, the, the total amount from last year. So, um, uh, I mean, look, you've got the stage at which the mines are at. I mean, I think that the, the output of the data from the first half of this year in terms of construction finance is that it's, it's positive, it's bringing more mines into production. Um, and, you know, we see that as a, as a broadly you know, as, as, a, as a positive going forward into the second half of this year. And as uh, Alexander has said, with a number of these funds, these 10-year monies maturing to, to the stage that they are at now, 
um, we're sort of looking ahead, I think, next year to 2020 as a, as a, as a different type of activity. I think we're going to see disposals, um, but then I think we'll see increased, increased numbers of private equity investment going forward. Well, you, you talk about the popularity of investing in gold, and obviously if you, it's, I, I don't know if the numbers with the first half of two, 2019 actually represent the movement in popularity now because that was the end of the first half is when gold really started to move up, right? So you do this report again in, say, February or March, looking at the second half of 2019. What are your expectations for those numbers? Are you looking at those numbers now? We haven't started looking at those numbers because we, we tend to do a roundup at the end of the year and present the findings each year at the Mining and Darba conference down in South Africa. Um, so we, we haven't sort of tracked through the sort of activity I mean, in July alone, though, we did see a spike in activity in, in the investments in gold uh, again, including from uh, Eric Sprott. I think he made nine investments in July alone. So, you know, there's a lot more money going into uh, the gold sector. What will be interesting with the, with the spike in the gold price is whether those investments have become more expensive and whether they've uh -huh. been impacted that way. What about the welcoming the generalist investors into the market? I mean, there's always a conversation about, you know, you'll know this market's really moving upward when the generalists start moving in. Um, but I've had a couple conversations recently about almost how difficult it is for generalists to come in, especially doing these equity, part of the equity financing or these private placements and, and getting in early and how you know, the system really is, it boggles down of who's an accredited investor and who isn't. Do you see that as more of a difficulty for generalists to come in or do you think that there's still opportunity for, you know, people who are not accredited investors to still come in on those ground floor movements and the financings? Yeah, we don't have the same sort of distinction necessarily with the accredited investors in the UK markets. So I think that distinction is, is less important here. Uh, if you look at sort of the public markets raises in London though, you know, I think a key to the success is whether or not there's the ability to attract the generalist investor. I think the generalist investor is, is needed uh, to sort of often needed to make up the whole amount that's being raised and therefore it, it, it is key to try and attract some generalist support for mining projects as well. Is the cult is that culture different here than it is, say, in North America? I mean, are generalist investors, you know, the layperson who wants to put some money into junior mining stocks, is that uh, more of a relevant opportunity here for people than it is in the in the U.S.? Because in the U.S., we sh really struggle with it. Like, it's usually the last thing on people's minds of where they put their money, right? Yeah, I I think it. <laughs> Early stage mining investments are for a sort of a, a subset of that sort of retail investor, as I think we would call them. That's uh, crazy people. Uh, well, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's people who can play a portfolio game uh, because you need to make a certain number of those investments in the hope that one or two do really well to sort of cover the overall portfolio. I think if you are you know, sort of putting your life savings into one particular mining project, then um, you are either brave or foolhardy. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, when I was talking of generalist investor, I mean, the, that's the sort of generalist funds I was referring to in terms of their support for the public market deals and that that is becoming increasingly important. But 
the London markets have certain different sort of vagaries. You know, in Canada, you've obviously got the attraction of the sort of cannabis market, blockchain, etc., which is to pulling money from the mining sector. There's not that same sort of prejudice, so to speak, right. um, in London. Obviously, in London, we have the whole Brexit thing going on, um, which makes the environment a bit more challenging. But then the, the sort of the, the mining and other natural resources investments, you know, are dollar-denominated businesses, not based in the UK, so can provide a bit of a hedge. Are people turning to gold and precious metals because of Brexit, the kind of the, un, you know, the unknown of what might happen with a deal or no deal? Are they turning to gold as a safe haven, or is it one of those, we'll have gold if, if we want gold, but it's not? Yeah, I don't think people are sort of seeking out gold just because of that. Um, I, I think sort of the whole uncertainty around Brexit is the thing that's not particularly helpful because whenever you get into a crunch point in the sort of Brexit negotiations and there's uncertainty, then you find that the markets and the ability to raise money from the capital markets sort of becomes a lot more constrained. And then when you've got a sort of longer time horizon to the next deadline, then there is a window that opens up uh, and people can raise investment. Uh, the London market is still an important market, I think, for the mining industry. We're still seeing a lot of support for companies, particularly if they're making acquisitions or they're funding construction, so that it's bringing you to a point where you're either going to generate funds or generate revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and those companies are still able to sort of access the markets in the windows. And we're still seeing a lot of interest in the London equity markets from companies that are listed in Australia or Toronto particularly where they've got projects which are in sort of Africa or Europe because the, the sort of the institutional funds are more familiar with those jurisdictions and I think have a track record of making investments in, the, in those jurisdictions. What about just greater M&A, the trends in M&A about, um, you know, we saw the big mergers with the big gold miners earlier this year, yep. and the, we, the expectation was that we were going to see more mergers and acquisitions come down through the industry, but it's almost as if we're in a stalemate right now. Yeah, I think M&A activity is something we're really expecting to sort of pick up over the next sort of 12 months. There's a few reasons behind that. You know, one, you know, the majors seem to be uh, open for investment again and looking for projects to sort of um, come on stream as other projects uh, reach maturity. Mm -hmm. So that's triggering some action and we've been involved in, in some of those deals. Uh, we were involved in uh, Resolute Mining's acquisition of Toro Gold, for example, earlier this year. So that that's a sort of good positive sign uh, for the industry as a whole. And then in addition, we're expecting to see a lot more M&A activity uh, as a result of the pri previous private equity investments. You know, th those projects have been financed by mining private equity. If that money was raised in 2013, it's got to be realized by 2023. And so that means the, that even if it's a good project that is generating revenue for the mining private equity fund, they've got to look at divesting that project. So you know, that re represents an opportunity for some of the larger mining companies. It also um, presents a, a, an opportunity for consolidators. And if you look back at where the mining industry was, sort of not necessarily pre-credit crunch, but pre-2011, there were sort of quite a, a large number of sort of mid-cap companies. Um, 
by which we'd sort of say the sort of one to five billion market cap companies. And that's been eroded a lot um, during the sort of the, 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 the crisis in the, in the mining industry. Um, and, but you're again now seeing people starting to act as consolidators and trying to build up a sort of more diversified portfolio, whether that's geographically d diversified within the same commodity or diversification you know, into different commodities. You know, we've seen Hostchild make a move into sort of uh, rare earths. You've got a company like Resolute Mining that acquired Toro looking to uh, diversify ge geographically and build up and you know they have a stated intention of trying to fill the space that in London that was that was previously filled by Rangold. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, though the emergence of those sort of consolidators, I think, will be sort of quite an exciting part of the industry next year. Well, I, I hope so because it really seems like after those uh, mergers came through, there was a lot of optimism that there was going to be more of them coming down the pipeline and it, you know, there has been smaller type of acquisitions, project acquisitions, but nothing as big of substance than those two, it, it appears. I want one question I did have, and, it, and I don't think it was mentioned, but what about royalty deals? Um, where do, you know, are there opportunities with private, with uh, private offices to fund deals via royalty agreements? I mean, we've seen quite a lot of activity this year, companies coming through to talk to us about doing royalty deals, setting up specifically as companies that are going to be engaged in buying, selling, investing in, in royalty structures, the, and st streaming as well. I mean, streaming was, has, has, you know, the way streaming has gone from 10 years ago when it was a, a financial product around the, you know, the buy, buy product from a mine. Um, has now become central to a number of um, mining productions getting into through con construction and through to completion. Um, so we're seeing quite a lot. I mean, the royalty structures have changed quite a lot since the, the more traditional royalties, as we will know. On the legal side, we have quite a lot of interesting discussions around royalties because, you know, certain jurisdictions a royalty can actually be uh, registered against the property rather than just being purely a contractual arrangement between a buyer and a seller. Mm -hmm. So um, what we've seen in a, in a number of jurisdictions and a number of projects where they're looking to raise a lot of capital and the capital is being structured across a number of different risk elements is contractual royalties put in place. Um, and those are quite difficult and those are quite quite tricky because of course they're not, they're not registrable interests that will tie to the property and try and, and tie to the land and therefore would you know, bind a liquidator, they'd bind a purchaser of the land. So um, there's a lot of work has been done around, around those but certainly um, I mean you look at the success of companies like Anglo-Pacific here in, in London um, and we know you know there are a number of, of companies out there who are looking to you know looking at that sort of model as well so mm -hmm. yeah, we see that certainly as being a um, being a more a more central part of more you know substantial capital possibly at a later stage than it traditionally has been used at rather than the very very early stage to fund early development early exploration what you're seeing actually is a royalty being um, composed as part of almost part of a construction finance package mm. you know th this is probably my final question but all expectations are that gold and silver are going to continue to move up um, 
with the economic cycles that it seems like we are at the beginning of and a little bit of a hor unknown horizon in front of us on a global economic scale. But do you expect these numbers as the gold price and silver prices to continue to move up, that these numbers continue to improve? And what gives you optimism and hope for that? Yeah, I, I, I think you know, the deal value or the size of the deal value will, I think, increase um, to reflect where, where gold is at and people's sort of expectations as to the sort of short and midterm um, gold price. Uh, we, we sort of continually get questions around certain other commodities, um, in particular sort of battery metals. Uh, but in, in the last five years where we've been sort of tracking this, the, the, the actual sort of investments into the battery metals don't sort of follow what you might think when you just sort of open a paper and read about the sort of future demand for, for electric vehicles, for example. But uh, th those are sort of increasingly being seen as sort of strategic minerals. Gentlemen, I've taken up a lot of your time, more than we expected, but it was a good conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, that's Alexander Keepen and Tom Eldridge with the law firm of BCLP. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a wonderful day, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein.